morning, everybody. It's good seeing you all this morning. It's great to have your faces before me, and I get to see you all. And you only get to see one face, I apologize. But I get to see all of you. And I can't look at you when we worship, because when I look at you when we worship, I get emotional. So I try hard not to look at you, and I keep my eye on the screen. I think it's beautiful to come together and see in each other's faces the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done in our life. I think it's one, one of the most beautiful things to see what Jesus has done in our lives. We may not know our lives, but we see our faces. And some of you come, I know, a long way. You come from Rosebud and Dandenong and Melton. You come a long way, but you come because you believe the Lord Jesus Christ says, when you gather two or three, I'll be there in the midst of you. And that's your faith and that's why you come. And I know it's hard because sometimes you try to get the kids in the car and you know, you're out of the shower yet, come on, we're late, you know. Tell your little brother to hurry, come on, we're gonna be late. And it gets frazzled and it gets hard and it gets tough, but you all make it and you're all here because God is good and you make every effort to gather and be with his people, yeah? How beautiful is that? How good is God? You've all come from different places, different backgrounds, different issues, different problems, but you're all saved by one faith and the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How good is that? I'm gonna to talk to you this morning, somewhat like a little bit of a study on Christology. If you know what Christology means, it's the study of Christ. And a little bit of a study on Christ, and I'm going to share with you this morning the things that you may not know about Jesus. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but I'm going to share with you things that you may not know about the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just bow our heads in prayer. Those of you who have come this morning with a heart that is yearning and longing and seeking and wanting, you can be guaranteed that that's where Jesus works. So Jesus Christ works in a heart that is wanting, that is hungry, that is thirsty. And if that's you this morning, then God brought you here to hear his word. And all you need to do is lift up your voice to him and say, Lord God, if you're real and you're there, please make yourself known to me. You know my issues, you know my problems, you know the very depth of my heart, you know what's in my head. And I need you to talk to me. I need you to speak to me. And I believe he will do that. He doesn't disappoint anyone who seeks him. He doesn't cast them aside and he pushes them away. He actually responds to the heart that cries out to him. So we're gonna bow our heads and we're gonna pray. We're gonna ask the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord God, speak to me this morning. Father in heaven, we come before you because you have the words of eternal life. You are the life and you've brought us here by your amazing grace and goodness that we may hear your truth. And we pray, Father, that you cast every distraction away from us, cast all our doubts and our confusion, Lord God, and shield this time, Lord God, for us from the enemy, that our eyes and our ears may hear your word and our heart may be changed so that our life, Father, is to be what you've made it to be, what you've created it for. And I pray that you would reveal that to us this morning. We ask you this, Father, that every word that is spoken may go out and meet the need and heal and strengthen and encourage and rebuke and challenge and it does what it needs to do to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So like I said, I wanna share with you things that you may not know 
you may not know. I don't know, maybe you do know. You may know or may not know, but I'm going to go through some points with you um, of things that we discover in Christ that if we actually got to know them and studied them, we'd understand a deeper depth of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, this is why I want to share with you because Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That's why I want to share with you this morning. That you may be granted wisdom and revelation of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That's why I, I want you to know a few things that you may not know about Jesus. Like one of them, for example, is that Jesus was not good looking. Sorry. I don't know if you knew that or you didn't know that, but Jesus was not good looking at all. I'm, I'm tempted to ask you, put your hand up if you knew. I won't. But you know, um, in the days of Constantine, about 300 AD, after uh, the first time in the history of the Christian church, the persecution started to cease and, the, and, and Christianity became like a recognized religion or recognized faith. In fact, it became, it became the society's norm around 300 AD, 300 years after Jesus Christ. Prior to that, they were severely killed and slaughtered and slain and martyred brutally like you wouldn't imagine. And at that time, was probably around that time the first of the paintings and pictures that you see of Jesus Christ. And so artists wanted to uh, represent um, what Christian faith or Jesus Christ himself looked like that would, would uh, reveal glory and majesty and wonder that we read in the scriptures. How do you do that as an artist? And what they did was they drew him all beautiful and, and painted him all glorious. And how do you paint someone with full authority and, and, and love and beauty? How do you paint someone? You don't paint them ugly, do you? You paint them beautiful. And they were beautiful paintings. It was a Hollywood movie, you know, blue eyes, blonde hair. Because back in the 70s, that was the cool look. You know, Jesus of Nazareth, if you've seen that movie. Yeah. Now we're all beautiful now. But back then, that blue eyes, blonde hair... That was, that was how they were depicted. Um, but the Bible tells us that Jesus was not beautiful. And I'll share that verse with you so that you hear it for yourself. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2, it says this about Jesus Christ. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, a tender plant, a frail plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. Not a rich soil, but dry. He has no form nor comeliness. Comeliness is a word that means he's not attractive. He's not attractive. And when you shall see him, and this is why the Jews probably, you know, uh, couldn't, couldn't associate with the prophecy of Jesus Christ. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And so God, in all his infinite wisdom and understanding, when he decides to send his son or mold the image of his son in his frail humanity, 
for whatever reason, God decided that he was going to make him ugly. Ugly. That there's no beauty in him that we would desire him. I feel like I heard the angels. There was no beauty in him. Why? Because we know by nature, (laughs) good-looking people get first place sometimes, don't they? Naturally. Don't they? Subconsciously. You know, the days of our lives is not filled with ugly people, are they? Is there, is there anyone ugly on the days of our lives? So how do you associate, what do you, what do you see as ugly? Our rock stars in Hollywood and superstars and our movie stars, the great percentage of them are what we esteem to be well. I want to look like that. Is that right or not? And when you go for an interview, I reckon, you can argue with me, but I won't argue, but I reckon a great deal of the interviews is already won because you're good looking. There's something about good looks that deceive people into thinking somehow that you're a little bit more intelligent, a little bit more skilled, a little bit more better because you're good looking. And good looking people attract people. But Jesus Christ was ugly. Why? Because the only thing that ever attracted you to Jesus Christ was not his good looks. It was the beauty that was within him. Lest people were chasing the wrong Jesus for the wrong reasons. Because when you got to see the beauty that was in Jesus Christ, it had nothing to do with the way he looked. It had to do with who he was. And so God in his brilliance for the salvation of the mankind put a stumbling block before the face of the people in the face of Jesus that wasn't attractive But those who had hearts and knew what was good and what was beautiful saw that in Jesus and they followed it. That's why Jesus Christ wasn't good looking. How good is God? Did you know that um, Jesus Christ had brothers and sisters? Some of you nodding your heads. He had brothers and sisters. And I can share with you a passage here because most people don't like or, or understand or agree that he had brothers and sisters. But I look at the scriptures and I read them for, that, for what they are. It says in John chapter 7 verse 5, For neither did his brethren believe in him. His brethren did not believe in him. Now most people say, oh no, the brothers, the brethren means the, you know, the people who believe. He's talking about you know, Christians, brethren. Well, that doesn't say that. It says his brethren did not believe in him. In fact, it says, this is, this, is what, this is what's fascinating. On one occasion, in Mark, the crowd asks of Jesus, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Jude and Simon? And are his sisters, aren't they here with us? So he had brothers and sisters. And God decided that's how he was going to make his son into the world with brothers and sisters. And you wonder why. Why would he have done that? I'll tell you why. Because I tell you the testimony of what the brothers and sisters would have said about Jesus. Because you know those who hold your secrets are those who are closest to you. Is that right? 
and they says they don't believe in him can you imagine having a brother who rocks up and says hey i'm the son of god <laughs> hey and all of a sudden you're looking at your brother and you say, no you're not what makes you better than me but we understand as we studied the scriptures that james and jude were the ones who wrote the book of james and the letter of jude they were actually the brother of jesus so what that makes us and you and i believe or, or understand or, or glimpse is the fact that wow how does someone convince his brother and sister that he is the son of god when you grow up with them and you've lived with them and they know you in and out and they know every secret every deception if there was any deception that would hardly have them believe in jesus christ is that right like if you want to know who the real christian is ask the person's wife about their husband you know or ask the husband about their wife and they'll tell you really really are they christian because they know them that 24 hours seven days a week they know them so how is it that jesus would have convinced jude and james that he was the son of god if he wasn't the son of god because they would have pinpointed every single issue every single problem in his life so how do i know jesus was the son of god because two of his brothers who were like this with him testify that he was in fact, when Jesus died and he rose again, do you know who the first person was before the disciples he showed himself to them, who it was? It was James, his brother. So James is not going to lie to us when he's reading because these men won't die for a lie, would they? They're not going to try and do a cover-up, would they? So Jesus had brothers. And like every other brother and every other sister, some didn't believe in him, but the two, James and Jude, are recorded to have believed in him. That's remarkable to me. What a testimony of Jesus Christ's life. What else that you may not know about Jesus? Talking about his, mom, uh, talking about his brother and sister, what about his mother? Did you know when you read the scriptures, Jesus Christ never called his mother mother show me in the bible do you know what he called her called a woman woman this is not a rude word it's not like disrespectful but what it does show you is his detachment his detachment from anything in this world other than his father does he call his father father called his father father did he call his mother mother he never called her mother mother he called a woman woman why why because again god in his infinite wonder wants the world to see that my son is mine and mine alone and belongs to no one else and my son had no one else no one else in fact this is who his son has listen this is who his son has it says this matthew chapter 12 verse 46 while he talked to the people 
behold his mother and his brethren, again, his brothers and sisters, they were coming and they stood outside. They were outside the building and everyone else was inside the house and they desired to speak with him. They wanted Jesus because they had to ask him something or they needed something, you know, maybe some house issue, you know, and they wanted to come in. Then one said unto him, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brother and sister are standing outside desiring to speak with you. But in verse 48, it says, but he answered and said unto unto him that told him, who is my mother? It's probably the first time he called her mother, but he's not even referring it to her. He's asking the question, who is she? Who is my mother? Who are my brethren? Now look how remarkable this is. And he stretched out forth his hand, just like you, everyone here, like this. And he says this, he says to to his disciples, behold my mother and my brother and my sister, for whosoever shall do the will of my father which is in heaven, that one is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus Christ, his beauty and his wonder and his splendor is simply this. When you read his life, there is nothing, nothing, nothing in his life that attached him to anything in this present world, whether it was a hobby, leisure, pleasure, relationships, uh, whatever it is, absolutely nothing he was attached to. There was only one thing he was attached to, and it was the Father's will. I don't know if you knew that. Did you know that? These are the ones who are my brothers. The ones who have the Spirit of God, the ones who call upon my Father, the ones who believe in him, they are my family. That's what he says. I don't have any other family, but the ones who have the Spirit of God in them. The same Spirit that I have and that the Father has given to all men who believe in him. That's my brother. That's my sister. Did you know that, how about this one? And I don't think many people know this one. But did you know that Jesus Christ never, ever displayed any power that was his own. Did you know that? You know what I mean? See, most people think this in Christian circles, that Jesus Christ was powerful because he was the Son of God. That's true. He was the Son of God. But that's not why he was powerful. Do you know why he was powerful? Because he was a man who depended on his father for his power. Not many people know that about Jesus. So if you study the words of Jesus Christ carefully, for example, I can of my own self do nothing. That's what Jesus' words said. I of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will. I don't do what I want to do. I only do one thing, I do what the Father wants. 
That's in John chapter 5. In John chapter 8, verse 28, he says, Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, referring to his death, then shall you know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. Did you know that? But as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. John chapter 4 verse 10. Believe you not that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwells in me, he does the works. So what does that tell you? It tells you this. I'll tell you what it tells you. It tells you this. If Jesus Christ, who came into the world and carried the same body that you and I carry, and he didn't do anything based on his own power, but only the power of God in him is telling the rest of the world that if you believe in me, the same body that you carry by the grace and power of God, you can do in him. That's the beautiful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you? Not, oh, that's Jesus, man. I'm not Jesus and I, because he, he's God. That's not how God planned salvation for you. Oh, he's Jesus and I, woe me, I'm just like this. No, no. The whole idea that by God, grace and, and wisdom to send him in the flesh was to demonstrate to the world that the flesh by the Spirit of God can be beaten on the cross and victory can be gained to all those who believe. That's the gospel message. But there's some kind of distorted view now regarding Jesus is God and I can't be like Jesus. Oh, that's just Jesus. People don't get it. They don't understand what it says in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men like you and I. He, he, he existed. And being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. You got it? What does that all mean? It means God, in his brilliance again, decided that when I come down, I'm going to take off my jacket. And I know it's cold and icy and chilly down there, but I'm going to take off my jacket. Because I'm going to know what it is to be cold. Because all along, I've got my jacket. You understand? So that means Jesus had to learn, how must I learn to live without my jacket? Which leads me to the second, the, 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 probably the last point of what people may not know about Jesus. I don't know if you've ever encountered this scripture before, but it says this. Though he was a son... Yet learned he obedience. Did you know that about Jesus? That Jesus had to learn obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus had to learn obedience? What? He had to learn obedience by the things he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. He had to be made perfect? When you think of that, you think, well, okay, he had, to be, he had to learn obedience. He had to learn obedience, meaning that he was disobedient. 
No, he wasn't. That's not what it means. It means he needed to learn, when you take off your jacket, how to survive without it. So when you leave his glory in heaven, and he says, you know what? I'm not going to take any divinity power within me when I go down to earth. I'm going to take off my jacket, and I'm going to know what it's like to be cold. I'm going to know what it's like to be cold and wanting to be warm, but I won't get myself warm unless the Father wants me to be warm. That's what he learned. Because he's never been obedient before. I mean, who does God obey? God obeys no one. But now he's got to come down to earth, take on your human frailty, and for the first time in all of existence, not human history, existence, Jesus Christ has to learn obedience. Oh, it's cold. I was sitting in the glory of heaven in the warmth of the light of the, of the, the Father's face. Now it's oh, cold. Oh, magic. Poop. I'm warm. That's not what he did. I'm, I'm God. Poo-poo. I've got a, a, a raincoat now. That's not what he did. He did what you and I do. I'm cold. Let me steal your jacket. Is that what he did? Oh, I'm cold. Let me fight and war and, 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 and tear at, at people's bricks and stones and build myself a fire. And is that what he did? No, he, he, he humbled himself and he trusted the Father and says, Father, I'm cold. But you'll warm me and I'll wait, I'll wait. Not my will, but your will, Lord. He never fulfilled any single desire in his whole human existence. Did you know that? You know that, right? You know when he hung on the cross and the only thing Jesus ever asked, ever asked, was that he was thirsty, he wanted a drink, and that wasn't satisfied. You know that, right? Because that was completely dependent on the Father. And could he not get a drink? For sure he could have got a drink. He could have like just, he could have just done that and a drop would have fallen upon his lips but he didn't do it he emptied himself of all that power he didn't display any power that the father didn't permit every power that Jesus demonstrated was a power not from him but from the father of heaven that came down upon him because he was a man dependent and he showed us he showed us how to love God that's what he showed us how to love God he was the greatest lesson. Just look at him and learn. How did he learn? The Bible says he learned obedience through what? Suffering. You don't learn obedience sitting in church. You don't learn obedience reading your Bible. You don't learn obedience praying. They're all good because that's how you survive. But you learn obedience through the trials, the hardships, the very thing that causes you to call upon the name of the Lord and say, Lord God, you've got to help me without a jacket. I can't do this. That's how you learn obedience. It's not surprising Christians suffer. It's not surprising Christians get taunted and challenged and haunted and, 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 and whatever. Because otherwise, how do you learn to, to do what Jesus did and say, Lord, Father, not my will, but your will. Listen, your biggest disease, your biggest sickness, your biggest issue is that you have a will that you can't restrain. That you have a will that needs to be satisfied. That you have a will that needs to be achieved or it has to bring about success. That's your biggest problem. 
And that will has to be harnessed. It has to be nailed to the cross. And you can't do it, unfortunately, miserably, unless the man who says, not my will, but your will, O Lord, grants you his Holy Spirit. It says, here, take. Freely I have given you, freely give. All these things that you may not know, have known about Jesus. It's probably one of the most important things is this. There is only one mediator, did you know that? Between God and man, did you know that? That's what it says in the Bible. It also says, it says this. For there is one God, one God, and there is one mediator between God and men and that's the man, Jesus Christ. Did you know that? And that, from the very dawn of, of existence, has been the major attack against the whole human race. Because you move Jesus in any which way you want to move Jesus, people cannot be saved. And everything, everything is an attack against Jesus in this world. Everything, everything. When we, when we blaspheme, we don't say, oh, Buddha, oh, Muhammad. When we blaspheme, we blaspheme the very name that saves. Because only through that name are you saved. Everything is against this name. And so the devil doesn't care how close you come to Jesus. The devil doesn't even care if you pray. The devil doesn't even care if you go to church. But he does care if Jesus Christ is your one and one only. And as long as Jesus isn't your one and one only, he doesn't care either. He could be 99% of your, your life. And he's happy with that. Especially when the Bible says things like, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, this is what's going to happen in, in the future. I'll tell you what's going to happen in the future. All the stuff that's going on at the moment in the government with the laws and all the agendas regarding policies and procedures to keep ourselves safe from discrimination and racism and, and all that good stuff is actually good stuff against Christians. Because there's going to come a day where to tell people the only way into heaven is through Jesus Christ, you're going to be locked up. Because what you're telling people is, no, you're not going to get to heaven through Buddha. You're not going to get to heaven through Hindu, Hinduism. You're not going to get to heaven through any other means. Whatever philosophy, no, no, it's not right to say, but I believe this and you believe that. That's wrong. There's only one truth, and that's Jesus Christ, and you're going to kill me for it. Because I can't lie to you. Like I can't tell, I can't, I don't, it's not an opinion of mine. It's not something that, you know, whether I like it or I don't like it. I just read it in the Bible and it says there is no mediator, there's no salvation, but through Jesus Christ. And I'd, I'd, lo I'd love to bring you all into heaven, all of you believing every other name, but it's not my heaven and it's not my home and I'm not the person who kind of created it. This is what it is. But the world doesn't want truth. It wants your opinion. Don't ask for your opinion. Well, I think people go to heaven <laughs> because they're good people. Well, get into heaven. 
I think we go to heaven, even, even if you kind of commit adultery and do whatever you want, we'll get into heaven. I think it's okay to, you know, to, to love and do whatever we want to do, and as long as we're happy, we'll get, get into heaven. It's an opinion. The only religion in the whole uh, human, the face of the earth, that will not and cannot allow any compromise is the religion that says only Jesus. Only Jesus. As much as we love you, as much as we care, in fact, we love you more than you love us. (laughs) And in fact, we love you more than every other person who loves you. But we cannot say any way into the kingdom other than the way of Christ. Did you know that? This is why the writers... And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll kind of finish this because I think you already know all this stuff, right? But this is why the writers, Paul says, he is the image, the very image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of creation. For by him, all things were created. He is the man, he's the one. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or whether dominions or whether they're rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things are held together. He's the He's it. He's it. He's the engine of the car. He's the crux of the wheel. He's, he, without him, there is no driver. He is. That's him. The writer of Hebrews says, and he is the radiance of his glory, the Father, the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. This is Jesus Christ. Almost sounds like God. He is God. It's God. This is why you can't say, how do you get to God? Uh, I don't know. Is God one? Yes, it's one. How do, can I get to God through another God? You know, can I get to God through all the different gods? God's not a split personality. He's not a contradictory being. He's single, he's pure, and he's one. How do I get to him? Through him. Get, you get to God through God, his son. Well, how else do you want to get? To? Do you get to God through philosophy? Do you get to God through ideas? You get to God through Jesus. Come to Jesus. He came into the world. He says, hey, come to me. Yeah, all right. But that's what he goes on to say. The, in, the writer says, it goes on. When he had made purification of sins, when he had found a system, a system to purify sin, and he did that, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Oh, but I think anyone. Well, I don't know. Look, 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 look. Very simple. There is sin. There's only one medicine. Jesus. Can I take, listen. There is sin. There's only one medicine. Jesus. Only cure. Jesus. Okay, what about exercise? Listen. What about eating well? Listen. The only thing that's going to fix this sin is this, Jesus. 
Oh, I don't agree with that. Well, (laughs) whether you agree or you don't agree, this is the cure. Did you know that? Now, I know, listen, I'm going to finish here. I know you know it. Jesus, Jesus, he's the only, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But this is not the knowledge and stature, the, the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ that we kind of understand it in our head. This is an experience when we say we know it. To say, yes, I know Jesus is the way and not walk in his way is not knowing it. When the Bible talks about the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's talking about a living, experiential life. I know Jesus. I tell you why. Because I took the tablet. You understand? That tablet cured me. It's a living experience. I know Jesus is the way, the truth, and I know. But did you receive him? Because you don't know then. You don't know. Do you live him? Then you don't know. You don't know what it's like to suffer in the flesh. If you haven't experienced Christ, you don't know what it is to turn the other cheek. Do you? I know the Bible says turn the other cheek. But unless you turn the other cheek by the power of God in you and the Spirit of God through you, no, you don't know what it's like to turn the other cheek. As soon as someone slaps you, you find your, your reflex reaction. But the one who restrains and holds back and denies the flesh like the Bible says and take up your cross like the Bible says and leave everything like the Bible says, leave your father, mother. Jesus didn't ask you to do anything that he didn't do. Is that right? Jesus is asking you to detach yourself from anything and everything in this world that hinders you from coming to him. Because if you don't, you will not know life. You cannot know life unless you attach the oxygen tank to your face or get rid of all the other poison you're you're smelling and put the oxygen tank to your face and start breathing. And you can complain as much as you want about the pollution. But when you're looking at the oxygen tank and it's there, and all you want to do is doubt it and blah, 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 and have every excuse, until you take that oxygen tank and put it to your face, you don't know what it is to be breathing. This is the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else is religion and every, everything else is church going. You understand? There are people in this place right now who are just churchgoers. I'm telling you the truth. You go to church, I'll tell you why you go to church. You go to church because it makes you feel good. Because religiousness is settled in our heart. We are religious beings and we want to ease our conscience by feeling good. You understand? And religion is a good checklist to feeling good. But Christ didn't say, come unto me and I will make you feel good. You understand? So Jesus said, come to me and I will give you life. But you cannot have life if you hold on to yours. You've got to detach yourself. Come to me and I will give you life. But listen, you've got to die. Leave everything and follow me. And then you will know the very thing you may not know. Let's bow our heads in prayer.
See, this is the, the issue we have with, with Christianity. For some reason, the devil's deceived a lot of people thinking to themselves that, you know, if they've got it right in their head, theologically, that they're Christians. It's like a textbook belief system, you know. I agree with that book, therefore I'm a Christian. That's not Christianity. Christianity is the living hope in our lives. It's like the real living God existing in our being. We breathe him, know him, live him. He is the essence of our existence. We don't go to the left and we don't go to the right unless he goes with us. And if he doesn't go, we don't go at all. This is life. And if that's not where your life is, you're missing out, I'm telling you. When Jesus came and he told the world that I've come to give you life and life abundantly, he was talking to dead people. Most of us, unless we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we remain dead in our sins. But if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, even this morning, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, it doesn't matter what you think or don't think. God's not interested in your, in your, your rejection of him. He's interested in the heart that seeks him. You don't need to argue with me. All you need to ask yourself is this, do I seek Christ? And if the answer is no, well, then it's no, I'm not arguing with you. But if the answer is yes, I, 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 I'm telling you, this is the greatest thing that you would ever know, the Lord Jesus Christ. Belief is unbelievable. <laughs> Consider that. Belief is unbelievable. But those of you in this room this morning, if you believe, confess with your heart and believe, uh, believe in your heart and you confess with your lips, Jesus Christ is Lord and he will deliver you. Wherever your situation is, whatever. Most importantly, he'll take your soul, he'll cleanse it, he'll wash it and he'll set you free. Do you want him this morning? And it could be the Jesus you never knew, you see. It could be maybe the first time this morning that, wow, you know, I've never seen Jesus like this before. And maybe the first time this morning you'll give him your heart and he'll take your life. I believe you're here this morning for that reason. God brought you for that reason. God hears your prayer, he hears your heart, he knows where you're at and he's come to forgive, to cleanse and set you free. Don't harden your heart towards him. Receive him. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord God, for this morning that your word doesn't come back empty, that you would speak to the hardest of all hearts, that we would walk and leave this place knowing you and knowing you intimately, knowing you for real. Bless all the heads bowed before you, every heart, every ear, every person bowed that you've brought to this place. May your Holy Spirit move in their life and make yourself known to them. In Jesus' name.